How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Men. And bringing you today's episode of Locked on Bucks is SeatGeek. Our friends at SeatGeek always support us and are sponsoring this episode. And you can use their promo code L-O-N-B-A. Again, that promo code is L-O-N-B-A for Locked on NBA. And that'll get you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and do that today or just... Head over to SeatGeek for great deals on tickets as, again, I don't know how many of you are baseball fans, but the Brewers are still in a playoff race. That's exciting. I don't know how many of you are football fans. The Packers are underway, and there are tickets for that. And I know you're Bucks fans. It's literally, I think, a month and a half away from the season. Um, maybe even less than that. 36 days? Does that sound right? Somewhere in there? Um, we, are, we are awfully close. Uh, media days just around the corner. Preseason games are getting close, so uh, SeatGeek is the place you're going to want to use to get all those tickets. Frank, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Ted Davis, uh, voice of the Bucks, kind of blew my mind yesterday, and I, I retweeted him when he said that you know it was yesterday. I think it was three weeks from uh, him calling this the, the preseason opener, which is kind of like you know it's made crazy. my brain kind of explode because I don't know. I just in, in my mind I'd been feeling like we still had you know two more months of uh dog days ahead of us but uh, in reality the uh real basketball is uh is growing We're, well let's say this fake basketball is is getting very close and real basketball won't be that much further behind it because obviously this year um the regular season starting a little bit early and you know fewer preseason games so um, yeah, I got, yeah i was gonna say i got a, a email that bucks media day is two weeks from today and i was like oh man that's that's crazy that we we are almost to that point that we have made our way through all of the all of the dog days of summer and I guess all of the dog days of late summer as well. I think that's when it really hit us in this last month. But we're almost back to basketball, which is exciting. Um, and I know we are planning throughout the day. We've been talking and planning uh, interviews with some special guests and trying to kind of get ready to do some season previews and stuff like that. So uh, things are gearing back up and we're getting closer and closer to doing this daily again. So this is this is an exciting, exciting time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we, I guess we won't spoil it, but, um, we, we, you know, we were thinking about I, we should have been thinking earlier about, you know, having some of uh, some 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 guests on maybe some some old friends back. And uh, 
Uh, I will just tease it by saying uh, a couple of our our favorite people. Yes. Um, our our favorite cynical. <laughs> um, I don't know how else you want to describe how else we can describe them, but just two of our I favorite mean, people that that have covered the bucks with us. There's two words that descri- There's two words that describe them, but if I use those, that'll truly yeah, give then away. It'll, it'll give away. But but a couple of people who we hope to have on together with us, um, hopefully, maybe not uh, this weekend, but maybe the weekend after. So you know, again, might have to wait a little bit, but um, yeah, always good to get back together with. Uh, with our old friends and maybe hopefully get some other folks too, just to, I don't know, sort of see, we've been talking to each other for, you know, over a year now back and forth about buck stuff. So always healthy to have other views, uh, come in and, and I guess provide maybe some, some different viewpoints because, um, yeah, I got, I don't know. I mean, obviously we, we talk with other people, but, uh, but, uh, sometimes I do feel like we, we don't, we don't disagree enough. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get some good, uh, good conversation. Also, I feel like there's a number of times where we are so deep into the forest, like we're talking every day. So we only see things from that perspective where we're talking and recording and releasing podcasts every day that we don't think from a, a broader perspective we are just so yeah. deep into it that um it's always good to have people from the outside and maybe some people who do follow the team but have very different views from us uh may be able to enlighten us on something that it, it might be obvious to them but we just don't see because we're in too deep um all right some stuff we wanted to talk about um i guess we'll we'll start with since we're getting close to the season Everyone is putting out lists right now. Uh, there's there's two out right now that a lot of people are following and talking about. And it's the top 100 list from ESPN and Sports Illustrated. Um, I think let's handle the ESPN one first because it's one that I don't take very seriously. Um, I, I don't really know or understand their criteria. I don't know who creates it. I've never heard it explained. I just know that it's hashtag NBA rank and insane things happen. So um, let's just handle that one. Uh, Greg Monroe coming in at 82 at the on the ESPN list and Malcolm Brogdon coming in at 56 on the ESPN list. Um, Jabari Parker left off of the ESPN list and the Sports Illustrated list. Chris Middleton appears on the SI list, but hasn't appeared on the ESPN list yet because they're only through 50. And Chris Middleton is obviously a top 50 player in the NBA. Um, so I guess just some basic thoughts on Monroe and Brogdon appear on that list. Or do you want me to just run them all down and then we can talk yeah, about Yeah, let's, let's do both and then we can kind okay. of compare contrast. And I think, I mean, I, I, my understanding from reading sort of the intros to both is that the idea is to um to try to say who's like you know who's going to be the best most valuable players this coming season so it's not like a long far out thing although um uh spoiler alert SB Nation is going to be doing a future kind of future ranking piece soon did you, so that's Did you read their reposting of the 2013? I haven't read it. I I know I I do remember like Julius Randle I think yes. was like crazy high in that yep. one. Um, and so I, I haven't looked at it recently, but, um, but yeah, it's, I, uh, it's, it's pretty it's, wild it's and also yeah. a little bit depressing because like you just see guys who've had their careers kind of wrecked by injuries. I was think, Andre Drummond like number two in that? I want to say Andre Drummond three. three? So okay. it, it was Durant one, LeBron two, which has held up very well. Um, yeah. and then Drummond three, uh, D Rose at five, um, Julius, and this was this was in 2013, so this would have been post 
the initial injury. So that, I guess, makes it extra sad. But yeah, um, a, l- a little optimism there, I guess. Uh, Julius yeah. Randle was top 20. Jerry Parker was top 40. Andrew Wiggins was top 10. Um, I'm trying to think what else. The, either way, there's some stuff in there that's just interesting to look at. But as I was looking at it, I was like, man, the NBA has changed so much in four years. Like, it, just a totally different world. And now we're at the point in the NBA where I feel like it changes an insane amount in just two years. And you don't even really know what's going to happen at the start of any any season just in one year it can change a lot so um okay let's run down the rest of the list so jabari parker not on either list in the top 100 Greg Monroe, which which he shouldn't he shouldn't be i mean he's barely going to play it this coming season correct. he probably won't be that good when he comes back i mean again I'd, i hope i'm proven wrong but you know i mean he's he's going to need to get his timing back etc cetera, etc cetera. you're not going to be a top 100 player in a season if you play 28 games right um unless you're like, the joel mb joke is that but Joe, uh, I mean Joel Embiid. Obviously, if if Jabari Parker can have the impact in his twenty some games that Joel Embiid had last season, then holy crap, give him a max contract. But I don't, I don't expect that. All right. Well, we'll talk about Jabari Parker and a max contract I, I was, I in, tra- in the I second half of the podcast. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, Greg Monroe, eighty two at ESPN, seventy two at Sports Illustrated. Malcolm Brogdon, fifty six at ESPN, outside the top one hundred at Sports Illustrated, and then. Middleton is 35 at Sports Illustrated. Um, ESPN has not gotten to the top 50 yet. So um, I, I guess Jabari, like you said, kind of makes sense. Monroe, I think that generally makes sense. Uh, oh, he was one of the ones. He was in the top 30, I think, on their 2013 list for the top 100 players in 2017 and that kind of made me sad that things haven't worked out for Greg Monroe but it makes sense the league has changed quite a bit since quite a bit since then so I, I think 82 and 72 is pretty fair for Greg Monroe yeah it's fine I mean I you know I, I, he it's so hard to compare you know it really is like an apples and oranges thing right I mean the, the NBA is is kind of beautiful in the sort of symmetry of of players it's not like the nfl where you get extreme specialization but you know trying to compare a sixth man center who isn't a rim protector and a good score you know but is a good score to you know uh, a starting point guard or something like that i mean it, that that's kind of one of the hardest things i think to try to when i when i look at these rankings it's always like so hard to kind of compare players who fill such vastly different roles um but yeah i mean is greg monroe still a top 100 player i think so um and i think by the way let me this is separate from the top 100 but just a a pet peeve of mine what what why is it still that like greg monroe can't even be considered for like the six man award like did you notice that last year like i mean it's awful eric gordon and lou williams Shooting you know, guard PPGs or otherwise all you're it not is. a six man. Yeah, it's all it is. It's like just some general rule that like people are going to be too lazy. You know, in, in rookie of the year is usually this way as well. The last year it wasn't the case, but um, you know, usually it's like who cares if a guy actually helps you win at all? Just give me the six man and the rookie who scored the most points, and that's that's who wins the award. Pretty much, um, yeah. And yeah, it's just kind of crazy to me that the, that from a six man standpoint, like a center who you know actually was valuable all around um, and maybe scored a little bit less than, you know, less than, than, you know, guys like Gordon and, and Lou Williams that it's just like, can't even be considered as, as, say, a, as it, a possibility. No, like, And it's funny because uh, throughout the year uh, I would always talk with Charles Gardner uh, now retired from the journal Sentinel about it. And 
I'd always try to like spark that conversation when like writers from other cities were around about like, oh, who are you thinking about for voting and stuff like that? Just because I always like to pick other people's brains and see what like people from again, like I'm deep in the Bucks Forest. What do people from the outside think? And every time we would have that conversation, I'd be like, man, Monroe makes such a big impact off the bench. Isn't like, are you guys considering him at all for your six man vote? And Charles was like, yeah, I think that might be a, a spot. He's like, but. I don't know if he if he'd end up taking away, and then like every time the conversation would just come back to, well, Greg might be having a big impact, but look at Eric Gordon, like look at how much he's scoring, or look at how much Lou Williams is doing, and it's like, man, it, it there's, I don't even want to, I guess it, there's some discrimination where it is just like you have to be a shooting guard and score a bunch, like Jamal Crawford. That at some point they're just gonna have to name the award after him because that's kind of like the ideal of what people are looking for, where they're trying to find the guy that just comes up and get fills buckets. it up. Correct. Get like, buckets award. You just gotta yeah. fill it up off the bench, and I don't know. Greg Monroe certainly fills it up and really made an impact for the Bucks last year as a six man. So um, I guess good to see him get a little bit of love, even though maybe being 72 or 82 isn't the most amount of love and maybe doesn't speak to his talent. But uh, like you said, it's difficult to figure out with roles and uh, throughout the NBA, you're just trying to imagine those people in other places. It's very difficult because you don't know what position they'd be playing, who they'd be playing with, how they'd be utilized, what they look like in the other team's offense. It is very difficult to figure out um, across different Spots, what these people will be worth. And, and I think that's a good segue for Malcolm Brogdon, 56 at ESPN and outside the top 100 at Sports Illustrated. And I know, uh, I'm trying to think, a, a couple people brought it up that he was one of the uh, one of the snubs Sports Illustrated had mentioned at outside the top 100. And I responded to someone and said, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much right. And they're like, right that he should be in the top 100 or right that he's a snub and I was like well right that he's a snub like I don't think he's a top 100 player and uh, I don't know how many times you and I have had the conversation of okay is he a top 20 point guard like, I don't know but then part of it is well how productive is he going to be and does he really fit the role and yeah maybe you could argue that he'd be the 56th most impactful player whether or not he is in the top 20 as far as skills and talent go at the point guard position like maybe he is that kind of guy that his numbers aren't gonna be as great maybe he's not as talented as these other guys but he's gonna be able to make a huge impact so uh, i think it's it's fun that that kind of hones in on the different ways that you could view them 56 at espn and outside the top 100 at sports illustrated yeah i mean i I would say i i you know and and this is part of this is just me kind of feeling a little bit like with with these with a guy who's only played one year you know i'd I'd give the benefit out to somebody what we have a bigger sample size on so i I would probably you know dock malcolm a bit just because he's only had one season which isn't his fault but uh intuitively he feels like he should be closer to 100 than than 50 I would say that would be my gut, kind of gut reaction. Um, you know, it's, it's you know it's interesting to look at the, the the names that are around him in the ESPN list, and I mean he's what I think one spot ahead of Andrew Wiggins, which is one of those funny things because it's like no GM, nobody would say you know in a vacuum I'd rather have I you know give me Malcolm Brogdon over over Andrew Wiggins, right? Like everybody would say, wow, Wiggins is potential and like he scores and i mean he's got too many tools that you, you just can't you know you can't pass on a guy like wiggins for for a guy like brogdon but 
then you kind of think about it and you're like, man, okay, who's going to help my team win the most this coming season? maybe maybe Malcolm Brogdon is that you know like he does so many different things and I think especially on the Bucks I think um it's obviously hard to sort of disentangle and I'm sure people just take different approaches to this when they vote for these sorts of things um but disentangling tangling like role for your specific team versus sort of you know if you pull the player out of that situation what is their what is their value um and I mean Malcolm I think fits well you know, he, he's one of those guys who's very portable as skill wise, but, um, but obviously he's not going to start for, for most teams in the NBA, I would argue. And, um, you know, I think the bucks though are, are a very good fit for him just because of the style they play and the fact that they don't necessarily need a guy who's, you know, that quote unquote pure point guard who, um, you know, is going to have the ball in their hands all the time. So, um, so I mean, that's a long way of me saying I don't really care where he's where he's ranked. <laughs> um, I don't think it really matters. And he's definitely a little bit of an eye of the beholder type type guy but um you know it is cool that especially on the espn list that um you know and i don't know maybe part it's just the 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 rookie of the year halo which obviously oftentimes uh tends to overvalue player stock and you know i've joked well not even joked but i've kind of nervously suggested at times that you know who knows we may look back at at this moment and say this was the peak of malcolm brogdon's value maybe even the peak of thon maker's value just given that their contracts are still cheap for another couple of years and they're coming off sort of surprising seasons so um we'll see how they do with expectations this coming season because obviously uh, last year let's just say nobody thought they would you know i think play the roles that they did and so that's that's a positive but um but yeah i, I don't know I, I guess we we haven't really seen anything else other than middleton at 35 um famously right ahead of um, perpetually bitter over rankings, DeMar DeRozan. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, gut-wise, that feels like a pretty correct spot for yeah. Chris Middleton. Um, and I think it is interesting because, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we've seen, especially when we'll talk about Jabari in a moment, but, you know, I think the ranking stuff and then also the Jabari contract stuff is sort of just, you know, brought again all the discussion around second bananas, third bananas, all this other stuff um, to light. And so, I, but I do think it is interesting that, um, you, you know, if every team gets, you know, every, you know, 30 teams in the league. And um, so you'd say if you've got the 35th best player, then um, I guess that is a second banana. There's your second <laughs> banana, yeah. A second banana. But I guess a lot of times it is people view it through this lens of, well, he can't score enough to be a second banana. But um, I, I don't know. We'll see. If, if Chris Middleton gets up to 20 points a game, which I don't, I think that's in play um, this season, especially with Jabari out, uh, it'll be interesting to see if, I don't know, if maybe some more people take notice. If that magic jump from 18 a couple years ago to 20 is, is something to get more people to pay attention to. But clearly the voters... Uh, um, Rob Mahoney and Ben Golliver who do the SI rankings. Um, clearly, they value uh, Middleton's all-around skills, and um, it looks like uh, the ESPN voters will as well. And I was going to say, those two guys. I don't. I think last year they recorded a podcast with friend of Lockdown Bucks, Andrew Sharp, and Sharp kind of like asked them how they got to it. In Golliver and Mahoney are insane with this like they they put so much work into figuring out exactly where these people are and uh they published a a piece that explained it this year like how they try to do it and i i guess uh, i think they understand how much of a fool's errand it is but still try very hard which is why i'm more inclined to give sports illustrated some leeway if i disagree with something that they have and uh, i just think that they understand it and 
there was a, a little excerpt from their piece trying to explain it that said, put simply, while we make a considered effort to somehow compare an incredible assortment and variety of talent, there's little grounds to suggest that basketball players can be assigned any kind of absolute value. And I think that's that's really what's at the at the heart of this is how do you find absolute value for a player? And uh, I mean, I think we've seen it this entire summer. We've seen it with Kyrie Irving where you're trying to figure out, well, if you take him out of this team atmosphere environment and you put him in this other environment, will he really shoot more? Will he pass more? Will he be able to play better defense? Will he be able to become uh, more willing to pass? Like, like how does this all work? And, and I think it's very difficult and um, <laughs> I don't envy anyone put in the position, so um, it's probably good for the ESPN list that I don't know who because I, I think uh, Ben and Rob probably have all of the people in their mentions right now trying to tell them why they're wrong or why they're right. Um, but yeah, you talk about Middleton at 35 ahead of DeRozan. Uh, it's serendipitous, I think, that he would be put in, in that spot because I think now for a while um, on Buck's Twitter, let's call our greater collective, um, I think there there ha- that's been an opinion shared many times on Bucks Twitter is that Chris Middleton is better than DeMar DeRozan and that's always been kind of a measuring stick for Middleton so I, I just thought it was it was perfect that Middleton was at 35 and DeRozan was at 36 and that could become a hotly contested debate once again if people so choose if people care enough about these rankings uh, to hotly uh, debate this uh, but I just thought it was interesting and uh, in Rob Mahoney's explanation for Chris Middleton he put two way wings are a precious resource and that was one of his sentences in there and I thought that uh, I think pretty succinctly explains Chris Middleton's value that there's not a lot of guys like him, and uh, when you try to find 3 and D guys, he's the rare 3 and D type that can also create a little bit and play a number of different positions and do a, a whole variety of things while also shooting 40-plus percent from three. So um, I, I think that, that gets pretty well at his value, and I guess a good way to try to get at the value of any tickets that you're trying to buy is to go to SeatGeek and check out the app because they find the best value for you. They are the people that there's no questions there. <laughs> there's no way to impossibly rank uh, absolute value. They can figure out the absolute value and they can find you the best deals and they do so. And on the app, you can see where those great deals are. You can see where the not so good deals are. And you can see if you're getting a good price on the tickets that you're buying for whatever it may, whatever event it may be. Like I said, it could be Brewers as they're trying to run to the playoffs. It could be Packers as they're getting their season going and it can be Bucks as they are uh, getting ready to get underway there and it can be concerts and whatever else they have tickets to everything at SeatGeek and as always they have their promo code and it's very easy to use all you got to do is download the app go to the settings tab go to enter a promo code enter promo code L-O-N-B-A again that's L-O-N-B-A for Locked in NBA and you can get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase so go out and do that today by the way I, I just noticed October 2nd preseason opener in Dallas which feels it feels like preseason openers are, are like well all the preseason games it seems like they tend to be more regional you know because nobody wants to fly all over yeah. the country for a preseason game I don't know why they're the pre- first preseason game is is in Dallas at the American Airlines Center on 
Monday, October 2nd. But it just occurred to me because I, I go up to Dallas many weeks for work. Um, I was just like, look oh, at this. Like, I, man. I may need to go to this game. And um, tickets uh, on SeatGeek for this game start at $3. $3 Whoa. a piece. Because uh, this is the beauty of preseason game, about people being forced to uh, to buy preseason games as part of their season tickets is that um, a lot of Mavericks fans who probably have very little interest in seeing the Milwaukee Bucks on a Monday in the preseason. So uh, uh, I, I might be able to pounce on this. I'm going to have to watch, uh, set up an alert for some tickets here. <laughs> That's such a ridiculous uh, Monday for a preseason game. There's, oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I think you could you could get a great deal on some Oh, seats. $2. I got some $2 tickets. Tickets. All right, two dollar tickets. I'm gonna make. A, well, unfortunately, I, I've already signed up, so I can't use uh, our promo code since I I'm not a first time buyer. But um, I, again, I could be making money off uh, off, <laughs> off buying off going to this game for sure. Um, all right, next topic we wanted to talk about today was um, I'm trying to think. I think it was on Friday uh, that Gary Wolfel wrote an article about Jabari Parker's contract extension and. Uh, the talks that are going on around that and kind of how it all works. And I guess uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to attack this, but in the article he writes that uh, Jabari Parker's camp and now his new agent, Mark Bartles, is it Steen or Stein? I can never remember. I've always, in my head, I always feel like it's Bartlestein, but I, I, I don't know how many times I've heard it said out loud. But let's say Bartlestein. Okay, so Bartlestein, uh, he's at Priority Sports, um, longtime agent. Um, he's ripped off the Bucks in the past. Uh, anytime, anytime. With uh, let's see, who was it? Miles Plumley. Oh, uh, Miles Plumley most recently, fifty-two million last year. Um, but but say he his greatest hits uh, list <laughs> in Milwaukee. His catalog goes pretty deep. Mo Williams. Oh, that's 50, a good one. Fifty-two million as well. Also a magic number for Mo Williams uh, in two thousand seven. And uh, he also presided over this. I mean, the, the absolute number wasn't huge, but um, I'm sure people who were following the Bucks in 2007 may recall, or I don't know, maybe you've, you've blocked it out. Um, but Charlie Bell's, remember Charlie Bell's Oof, protracted yeah, contract negotiation? Um, ended up being five years, I think 18 million. He signed an offer sheet with the uh, Heat and then put on a bunch of weight because he was so sad about the bucks matching or i don't know whatever it was just stupid but that was uh yeah that was basically the end of charlie bell's um i don't want to say the end of his career but that was really the inflection point of his career everything was just sort of downhill from there but but yeah mark bartlestein represents an absolute ton of guys lots of role players and um he has swindled the bucks many times over the years and i guess this is uh john horse turn to to have his shot to to not get swindled by mark bartlestein so in the report Gary says that multiple sources claim Parker will be seeking a contract similar to the one he expected to receive prior to his latest injury, a maximum contract of five years for anywhere between 146 million, 25% of the salary cap to 175 million, 30% of the cap. Um, and I guess let's. By, say, the, by the way, we should we should we should just be clear. This wasn't really an article so much as a press release that that Gary wrote <laughs> on behalf of Mark Bartlestein and Priority Sports. Yes, um, that's what that was no, where I wanted to go next. <laughs> and the numbers just uh, I guess just to quickly clear this up: the five years, hundred and seventy-five million. Jabari would have to be an All NBA player this year or defensive. I mean, that's the thirty percent to get be qualified yep. for the thirty percent number. So it's like 
patently absurd to even like mention it for a guy who's coming off an ACL tear and only going to play, you know, a third of the season. Um, but again, then it wouldn't be a good press release if it didn't try to put out as big a number as possible, I guess. But, um, but yeah, so, so that's my first just sort of comment there. But yeah, no, I wanted to go there because when both you and I tweeted about it on Friday, I think the immediate response was, well, look at the source. Like, Jabari's not actually asked for it. And it's like, okay, let, let's just pump the brakes here. And, and I'll say this. Bartlestein is actually quoted in the article. Like, it, it is a, those are real quotes there. And again, it, it might not be the quote that said, we're looking for the max. Uh, but it was quotes directly quoted and attributed to him. So there does have to be some knowledge from his camp that this article was being written. And again, uh, it wasn't printed on Priority Sports' letterhead. But yes, <laughs> it, as, you, as you mentioned, this is, this is very much a press release um, in kind of trying to get the value of Jabari Parker up there. Um, so I, I guess the, I think that's a good place to start and say that whether or not you believe Jabari Parker actually thinks this, and whether or not Jabari Parker actually thinks this, um, this is kind of how negotiations work. Like, there's always going to be people on the very high side, uh, and the other side's going to be on the very low side. And then the goal would obviously be to meet in the middle there. Um, and one thing, I guess, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, Frank, was I'm I'm curious at this point why a lot of athletes will have their camps release stuff like this, like. Because I just don't know how much it helps at this point. Um, maybe at some point it makes your the team that signs you feel better that they got a deal because you thought you were worth the max. But it just it just ends up feeling like a punchline most of the time. Like when you think back to the Derrick Rose negotiations and that article that got floated out in what January, February, whatever it was, where it's like he thinks he's worth the max and. Like throughout the summer, it was like, oh, well, he's one of the last remaining free agents left, and he got this small contract. Like, it, I don't, know, I just don't know that it helps at this point. So I, I, I'm very curious if it does actually help in negotiations or or what the ultimate goal of releasing something like this would be. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, you know, it's like just some weird anchoring exercise. I mean, I understand why you know this is the whole thing like the the it never hurts to ask uh type thing and and obviously if you're mark barlstein and you've you know conned the bucks out of you know uh, however hundreds of millions of dollars at this point um yeah sure why why not just throw throw this out there but uh, you know again it's one thing to go to the bucks privately as part of the negotiations and you know he had some just sort of filler stuff there about like oh there's discussions that we're getting in their product or whatever he called it um didn't really say anything but just said that there's some discussion going on um but it's one thing to go to them and say you know we think to be worth doing an early extension that we would want the max fine. You can ask for it. You know I mean? The bucks, if they're smart would say, mm, you know, we don't really think that would be something in our interest, but to, to release it publicly, you know, to basically sort of just put this out there publicly for, you know, basically fans to sort of just nitpick and say like, well, that's stupid. Jabari Parker's, you know, not worth a max contract, even if he was healthy and, you know, he's not healthy. So why are you insulting our intelligence this way? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what, what is the the negotiating value of that? I don't think there's a PR value from a fan standpoint. I don't think Jabari Parker looks like a better, you know, and Jabari Parker, we, we know is a 
you know, by every account, a wonderful young man. I don't know what this does for his reputation in any positive way. And I don't yeah. think you, I don't think the Bucks need, you know, a press release through the media to, you know, be aware that Jabari Parker thinks that he's worth a ton of money or, you know, or he's not going to sign it other than, um, I don't know. Like if, if, uh, I don't, I don't even know because it's, there's not even a, you know, there isn't even any pressure to do a deal cause it's just an extension and he would just be a restricted free agent next summer. So, um, so yeah, it's just some kind of weird, I, I don't know, like, you know, like when, when bighorn sheep and rams do their like weird, like, you know, before they smash heads, <laughs> yeah. they like prance around. I don't know what they do. They stomp their feet around. Somebody who's who knows more about nature <laughs> can correct me on this. But, you know, it's just sort of like some weird show about this. Like, that yeah. just feels like what this is. It doesn't feel like it actually, you know, has any practical, uh, practical meaning, which, you know, again, is not to uh, uh, deride bighorn sheep. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that maybe that 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 does have, you know, maybe it does have some effect. But but I think in this case. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what Jabari gets out of this and, and I don't know what Mark Bartelstein gets out of it other than to remind us of the, the bad contracts the Bucks have signed with him previously. But I, I don't know, should we talk about like what, I mean, if, if there is even a number that could make sense or a yeah, contract structure think, that could make sense at this point? Yeah, I think we can do that. I think we're going to get our first one-star review by someone that's really into uh, bighorn sheep or whatever they're called, but... Uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll hopefully be able to avoid that. Um, and I guess we should talk about it because Kevin O'Connor at The Ringer um, wrote a little bit about the class of early extensions. I think he, I think there's 21 guys available uh, for them, and he broke down some of the interesting ones. And I believe at one point he mentioned something about how if he comes back like the guy he was last year where he was scoring 20 points per game, he might make a, a compelling argument to, to be that guy. And uh, man, I just don't, one, I don't, I don't know how likely it is just because not, not likely, I would say not, not likely, but you know, I, I don't know. You never know. Right? Because I think I, I just look at Chris Middleton this past year and again, different injuries, different players, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at Chris Middleton this last year, and he was playing basketball that was helping out the Bucks that um, seemed to be very positive. But again, like he was only scoring 14 points a game. And uh, you could tell that there's going to be a number of games where you're just feeling stuff out, trying to get used to being on the floor again. And I, I just think to even believe or entertain the idea that Jabari is going to immediately come back and immediately score 20 points per game while this team has played 50 plus games without him. Like it, it just it seems to go against any idea I would have of how roles work and how returns from injuries work because it, it, that just seems incredibly difficult to immediately come in and jump on this team that has already defined roles and how they're going to score and how they're going to attack and to just throw an extra 20 points in there. Like, that just doesn't seem possible to me. Yeah, I mean, and, and we can look back at what Jabari did when he came back from his first injury, right? Um, you know, his pre-All-Star numbers in the 15-16 season, he averaged 11 points, five boards, one assist, um, true shooting of under 53%, which isn't isn't good, um, in 29 minutes per game. So, you know, we all remember that season. It, it took him a while to kind of get going. In the last 28 games, he averages 19 and 6, um, bumps his true shooting to 55%. You know, it just things kind of started to come together. And 
again, I mean, it's possible that, you know, having been through this once that maybe the learning curve of coming back from the injury, maybe he figures stuff out more quickly this time. I don't know. But um, I think it's unfair and, and kind of one of the litmus tests that I have for when I'm like reading previews of the Buck season, things like that. Like anybody who like talks about Jabari Parker coming back and giving them some huge boost, I, I just kind of like shake my head at it. And I was like, I don't, I mean, like that doesn't seem to like really reflect the way guys come back from major injuries. Like, you know, as you said, even Chris Middleton, I think helped them a lot on the court. Um, it's a process. Like a guy doesn't come back and just immediately like flip a switch and be what he was. And so I think, you know, we've talked about it by definition, Jabari is probably going to go into next summer, um, coming off a not so scintillating, uh, return from injury. And, and, you know, you, you know, again, I think just from his history, like, the goal isn't to come back and just score 20 points a game and be exactly the guy you were beforehand. The goal is to come back and stay healthy and hopefully, you know, yeah. work your way back into a team that may not start you when you come back. Um, you know, hopefully the other guys are healthy. And, you know, if that's starting five of, of Brogdon, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, and Thon, I mean, if that starting five is working really well, I mean, are, are you going to, move Middleton to the shooting guard and throw Jabari in at, at sort of what the, at the forwards with, with Giannis. I mean, you could, but that could really upset, you know, the apple cart a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think it's tough, but I, I think if I think about like what would have to happen to, to get an extension and I, I mean, you know, it, it, obviously the same, same general idea would, would apply next summer after, um, you know, when he, hit, when he hits restricted free agency, because again, I don't think we're going to know that much more other than that. Hopefully he got through, you know, the rest of the season without an injury. But, um, you, you know, I think it's interesting because, like, normally you think about young players and you just want to lock them up as long as possible, right? Um, and with Jabari, I, I just don't – I don't know. I don't know if you want to do that. If you're the Bucks, do you want to give him four years? I mean, if he was taking $10 million a year, sure, that's worth the risk, right? Because, you know, the odds of finding a guy who has – who can be, like, have that lottery ticket sort of type upside – at that month, at that value in free agency, which again, you're not going to, you wouldn't have any free agent cap space until 2019 at the earliest anyway. Um, you know, that you're just talking about basically someone a little above the mid level. Sure. Yeah. Give that guy, give him four years for that. Um, but to go 15 million, 20 million for a guy who has torn his ACL twice and who perhaps more importantly, like you're not sure if he's going to really, you know, be a, a, you know, NBA level star and actually impact winning at really high level anyway. Um, that's when it gets scary. And if you start to push that value up, then maybe three years makes more sense. And I think, you know, the, the possibility of doing non-guaranteed years at the end where you're basically, you know, it's guaranteeing based on games played, things like that. That's the kind of thing that I think in Jabari's case, you know, normally that's not really necessarily something you would think a lot about, but in Jabari's case, I think, you know, you absolutely wouldn't want to think about, you know, whether you could do something like that, you know? So maybe he, maybe you're not demanding that he be a superstar to get his paycheck and get his 15 million or 18 million or whatever it might be. But, you know, Hey, get to 70 games, <laughs> you know, like d- don't miss entire season. You know, don't have your, you know, injury kind of career wrecked. And, and yeah. obviously at that point you can also argue, well, you know, from his side, what is he willing to kind of lock into given that, um, you know, we don't know what the free agent market will look like. And I guess before, so I've drawn on a little bit before, um, before I kick it to you and, and kind of ask your, your opinion just for, for just some, some background on, on next, um, next off season, 
you know, we've talked a lot and this kind of made me laugh in the, in, in, in Gary Wolfel's press release, the, uh, there was this reference to NBA salaries are skyrocketing and because of the TV deal. And it was like, <laughs> all right, that, that's, a, that's a, this is dated by a year. So, um, you know, I think the, the talking points got uh, pretty inaccurate at that point. Cause we obviously have not seen skyrocketing, um, salaries this summer. We've actually seen, um, it's restricted free agents in particular, a number of big name restricted free agents, um, either take qualifying offers, take one year deals, um, or, or still be sitting waiting for contracts. But um, I don't know, Frank, there, there was a, if you really think about it, Rick Buecher had mentioned that <laughs> <laughs> Rick Buecher, Rick Buecher. Oh my God. I still can't believe that Rick Buecher got on the radio and said the cap was going to go up 20 million and Greg Monroe was going to get 20 plus million. As a free agent. <laughs> like I just, I'm still just like, I just wish I could like just walk up to Rick Buecher and just ask him like, how, how could you be so misinformed? Um, but I think as far as teams that, that could, so, so this is the thing, like, uh, you know, and, and we've talked about it, like, right? Like, Okay, well, the market for Jabari, especially next summer, you have to think about this. Well, if he goes to restricted free agency, what might he get from somebody else? And the number of teams that might have max cap room is not that long. I mean, the Sixers could have max, the Sixers should have max cap space. Um, do the Sixers want to add Jabari Parker to Ben Simmons and Dario Saric and the rest of their, you know, guys? Like, does that make any sense? Not really. Um, the Chicago Bulls also figure to have a ton of cap space would they want to bring jabari home as part of a big homecoming thing maybe maybe but also laurie markinen and jabari parker as your front court of the future <laughs> just feels like a complete Ooh. disaster can you imagine can you imagine building around zach levine jabari and laurie markinen as like your your long-term pieces like just score defensively? 130 gotta score 130 yeah, you'd, you'd have to you'd give up 140 um and and then Dallas might be a team that actually might be more interesting. Although, um, you know, again, Harrison Barnes is somewhat Jabari esque as far as like positional stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, th- there aren't really that many teams. We talked about the Nets seem to have, um, barring other moves, probably sacrifice the ability to have max cap space. And by max, I'm talking like something in order of 25 million a year, which obviously I think most people would agree is way too much for Jabari, even if he makes it through this season healthy. So. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've kind of dodged. I I guess I haven't really given you a number. Are you willing to say like, and and it could be this, it could be this year. I don't know. Maybe it's the same number for, for next year, you know, assuming he kind of does what we expect him to do this, this, this season. Um, I mean, I don't know. Is there a number that you feel like if, if you heard it this fall as, as an extension that you'd, you'd say, Oh, okay, that works Two, as in two years. I, that would make me feel comfortable. Um, I I just can't admit. I just can't imagine signing up for long-term Jabari Parker with any sort of number over 15 mil per year attached to it. Like it just to me it doesn't make any sense unless it's 4 years and team options in years 3 and 4. Um because I just don't know how you would how you would sign up for a guy where he has two ACL tears and you're only going to get 25 games max like uh, maybe 30 um but of those 30 he's gonna need 10 to round back into form and you, you're not gonna be 100 percent sure how it all fits and I, I don't know it, it it's just really tough for me and as you think more and more about it as as i read rob mahoney and uh ben Golliver talking through what the most valuable players in the league look like and 
there's just a premium on guys that can play both sides of the ball. And I just don't... I mean, I've said it I don't know how many times on this podcast. I don't know if Jabari ever gets it defensively. And by it, I mean any semblance of average defense. Like, I don't... I, I struggle to think of how you make that work and then how you build a team with that. And, and when I think about Max's and whether or not Jabari Parker would ever be worth one, I struggle to think of a world where that exists because maybe he would be talented enough to be a number one scorer for you, but defensively, what's he, what's he ever going to play? And how does he fit into a larger roster and a larger team environment? And just the fact that I have so many of these questions and I can keep going on a number of these questions um, is really worrisome. And it, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a really tough spot. So um, ultimately, if I have to pick out a max per year number that I go to, as an early extension, it's maybe 15. But may, maybe in restricted free agency, I'm willing to go a little bit higher. But, man, it, it's... It, and I guess also in all of this is the fact that the Bucks don't really have cap space until 2019. The Bucks are still going to be a tough spot to try to get free agents to come to. And I was listening to... Uh, Zach Lowe on the Woj pod over the weekend and they were talking about the the new tanking rules and how they're going to try to do lottery reform and stuff like that and they just had this discussion about who are the teams that can actually get players to show up and who are, are the teams that can sign free agents and uh, I mean there's certainly the belief that in a smaller market if you get good enough you can get the free agents to sign but as they went through it, there's very few actual examples of that. Like, you can say San Antonio, but then Zach's quick counter was, well, yeah, San Antonio got LaMarcus Aldridge to sign, but at the same time, they had to be an excellent organization for 20 years. There's still, to me, I think, is always going to be a reluctance for players to sign up in Milwaukee. And I've talked about in the past how I'm very concerned about recruiting players there because Giannis doesn't play with Team USA. There is, to me, when I think about whether or not I'm willing to pay Jerry Parker X number per year, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, well, how do I get another talented player in Milwaukee? And it's it's a really tough conversation. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I was looking at you mentioned 2019, right? Um, we've talked about 2018. Basically, next summer, Javari's cap hold being 20 million sort of wipes out, you know, functionally any any cap space you might have. You'll have the mid level exception around, you know, let's say nine million to work with. But even if Jabari you know, was gone. You just let him walk next summer. You're not going to have more than the mid-level exception in all likelihood, unless you were able to move some of the bad, bad contracts the Bucks have, which, you know, again, you do want to attach assets to do that. Probably not. So, um, so it's all, it's kind of irrelevant next summer as far as Bucks flexibility goes. Obviously you don't, you know, the, they should have breathing room against the luxury tax next summer. Um, but 2019, I mean, I'm just doing kind of some of the math and, you know, you factor in Chris Milton likely opting out and being a, uh, a free agent with a around $20 million cap hold. Malcolm Brogdon is going to be a free agent, um, restricted free agent, but and a very small cap hold. Um, even with that, like ignoring Jabari altogether, um, 
I've got them at maybe 14 million cap space with a $109 million cap in 2019. So, you know, and this is something that Kevin O'Connor brought up. It was like, well, what do you, you know, what's your, and you mentioned as well, you know, what's, what's your best option for getting another kind of really high caliber star type player, or even just a really good player, right? It doesn't have to be an all-star. Um, you know, do you roll your dice with Jabari and hope you can get a good enough value with Jabari or, are you going to go find somebody in free agency if you've got 14 million or maybe you clear, you know, some other good deal and maybe you get, you know, 20 million or something like that in cash space. Like, do you actually believe the bucks are going to be able to go out in 2019 and actually get good value with that 20 million? Because this is the other problem is everybody wants to think about how to create cap space. But, um, you know, yep. as we talk about, it's really hard to go spend free agent, you know, money wisely, <laughs> yes. um, in the summer. And, and so that's why a lot of good teams don't, really do it and they just focus on keeping their guy okay jabari's your guy <laughs> is he good enough do you want to you know can you get him at a number you can live with that's the question so um so it's sort of one of those things it's like jabari does matter greatly to the bucks cap sheet but in a lot of ways if you look at just him being a swing piece he's not the guy who swings you from having you know max cap room to no cap room right like so so to sort of say that yeah. there's like even a, a clear choice not necessarily true that said if you give him a hundred million dollars and he blows out his knee again and has to you know basically just be rehabbing for the next three years um that's crippling too because that i mean you know again then you're going to talk about okay then you're going to be up against the luxury tax probably when you start to have to resign Middleton, Brogdon, eventually Thon Maker as well. So, um, so there's no, I agree, and there's no kind of easy answers. Um, I, I, you know, uh, Nate Duncan and and his crew did uh, a mock off season where they talked about extensions, and um, it, Nate was playing the role of the agent, and um, you know, he said he probably would take as low as you know, maybe he'd go down to four years, sixty million. So the number you you quoted, um, you know, he wasn't talking about you know, taking non-guaranteed years or anything like that. Um, so that to me would be, you know, what I think objectively would be, would make it acceptable is if, you know, again, like you said, maybe you make it a declining salary. So it starts higher. So he gets more money up front. Um, and then the last couple of years are, are, you know, guaranteed based on games played or something like that. Um, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of creative things you can do, which normally doesn't happen because you're not worried about guys, you know, knees the way you're worried about Jabari's knees, things like that. But, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the hard part. And uh, I think so much of you know the negotiation this fall will be based off of the idea of what what could Jabari get next summer. And I think the good news is, as we've talked about, I mean, the market has moved against not just Jabari but just all players. <laughs> like there, there's a lot more yeah. concern with giving out inflated salaries to guys who you know might not be worth it and um, I think that's why you know a team like the Nets didn't seem to really prioritize having 2018 max cap room this summer and um, again like we said some of the other teams that will have max cap room I mean the Lakers you know again the Lakers have bigger fish to fry like if they don't get LeBron if they don't get Paul George um, then then maybe they would revisit a guy like Jabari but again as a restricted free agent you're never going to be the first priority on July 1 you can't sign um, your restricted free agent offer sheet until um, the moratorium ends which you know if it's like on July 7th or something like that um, even if it's just what like a two-day waiting period now you're still talking about having to wait a week from the start of free agency to even know if a team's going to be able to get that guy. So by definition, you can't be a top priority because, you know, you can't 
be sure in the opening days of free agency if you're going to be able to get the guy, which obviously that's how most kind of, you know, good players tend to get signed. It tends to happen right away. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we've gotten an answer. Um, I, I think, you know, even if Jabari, I, I think the interesting thing is the knee injury on some level gives us cover, gives the Bucks cover to think longer and harder. I think about moving on from Jabari or being, let's say, more conservative with a Jabari contract than they might otherwise would be. But maybe they should be that way, even regardless of the injury history. Um, obviously, you wish that Jabari didn't have the injuries. He's more valuable if you knew he was going to play. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of interesting because I think he's also the kind of player who um, would tend to get overpaid because his skill is something that people tend to get paid disproportionately for as, as a scorer guys, those guys tend to get paid. Um, whereas guys who do the little, you know, do the smaller things, um, that don't get measured as easily. Those are the guys who often don't get paid their, their fair market value. So that's obviously always also a risk too. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's enough middle ground, um, for Jabari to get to an extension agreement this fall, especially, um, if they're going to be, you know, aggressively thinking that they can somehow get a bigger deal next summer. Um, but needless to say, I think next summer is going to be absolutely fascinating because I, I just, I think it's a game of chicken if Jabari thinks he's going to get, you know, $20 million on the open market next summer as a, as a restricted free agent. Cause I think he may be waiting quite a while for that. It's interesting because as we talk about this and you mentioned, okay, the injuries give you some cover to not go with that max. As I think about best case Jabari Parker never gets hurt, never any of that, like doesn't miss any games, is just healthy these first couple of years, I think we very much find ourselves in a spot where he would almost assuredly get the max or close to a max or, or whatever it may be. And if Giannis was willing to take less than the max, then maybe they try to use that as precedent and say, okay, you're going to take it. But either way, he could get close to a max. And I think even in that ideal world, I think you and I are still questioning whether or not a player of Jabari Parker's type is worth a max, if that makes any sense. That even the fully actualized version of Jabari Parker that is just scoring like crazy, 22 a game, but a total zero defensively without a true position to cover on that side of the ball. Like I do still think we'd be asking, is he actually worth this max? And again, I, the conversation would still be very interesting. It'd be a different conversation, but I still think we would be asking many of the exact same questions. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it would just be probably with a more fatalistic view of, of whether or not Jabari was going to get that huge amount of money. Um, yeah. And, and, and we're seeing it with, with Wiggins to some extent. I think Wiggins is interesting because he hasn't been a good defender, but there's still the you know understandable perception, well, he should be a good defender. Like, why, you know, there's, there's yep. no... He doesn't have sort of like any, any of the... Well, I don't want to say any, but... You know, he, you don't think of him like like Jabari in terms of just lacking the physical tools or awareness to be a good defender. It just seems more like it's just a lack of application. So you can kind of talk yourself into Wiggins, I think, as a two way player more easily than Jabari. Um, but but it is interesting because <laughs> I, I don't about think all the things people think about Wiggins that Wiggins isn't. Like yeah. Wiggins should be a good defender. He's not. Wiggins coming out was oh Wiggins can be that three point shooter. He's not. Uh, like there, there's just so many things where you look at Wiggins and think like, oh yeah, 
I think the like fully actualized version of Wiggins could be really good, and then you actually look at what he is, and he's none of those things. Like he's very much kind of what I was talking about before, where the perception just does not match up with reality. Yeah, and the irony is the big question about Wiggins was, oh well, is he assertive enough? Is he, you know, does he have the alpha gene that is he going to score right? And that's oh, he, the he one likes thing to take that shots. yeah. That's the one thing he absolutely has. And <laughs> it, it's funny that, I mean, and I think I always think back to Andrew Bogut as a good case of, you know, the, the absolute highest prospects in drafts. Um, you know, sometimes they become good or, or bad um, for reasons that are completely different from what people originally thought. I mean, you know, when Bogut was drafted, it was like, oh, he's, he's the next Vladi Divac. He's going to be, a, you know, he's going to be a good scorer, a great passer, but it's going to be offense. And I don't know, maybe he can be an average defender. <laughs> and, you know, it fast forward five opposite. years. Yeah, fast forward. I mean, granted, part of that was injury, um, but never developed his, his shot, never shot free throws well. Um, you know, scored a little bit, but, you know, obviously, especially with the way the NBA evolved, just was never really a big scorer. But defensively, somehow, you know, year four or five, whenever that was, <laughs> Um, things just absolutely clicked for him defensively and, and he became a, a huge value value add that way. So um, so it, it's it's strange. And even with Jabari, I mean, Jabari, I think, has been much more of a flow scorer, much more of an in the offense guy than, yeah. than this kind of like, you know, perceived like, oh, we're just, you know, he's going to be like mellow where you can just ISO him and he'll be yeah. a late game scorer. I mean, he hasn't been that at no. all. Um, for better or worse. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, all you can do is sort of cross your fingers that Jabari stays healthy and you get the best possible version of Jabari moving forward. And, and I don't, let me ask you this. Uh, so we didn't discuss this before, but what, what do you think are the odds that Jabari Parker is a Milwaukee buck in the, let me say the 2019, 20 season, because 1819 would be the year after his restricted free agency. So, I mean, there's a possibility he could take a qualifying offer, which would be around 4 million. And then he could be an unrestricted free agent. So, let me let me ignore the seventeen eighteen season for a second. Let's jump ahead to nineteen, or sorry, the the eighteen nineteen season. Let me jump ahead to the nineteen twenty season. In the fall of two thousand nineteen, in two years, uh, media day is coming up. Are you preparing questions for Jabari Parker to awkwardly answer uh, at his <laughs> at his media day in twenty nineteen, or is Jabari Parker elsewhere at that point? Or what do you think the percentage likelihood uh, is that he's there? I think seventy five percent that he's there. I think there, yeah. I think there's a good chance that he's there, and I also think there's a good chance that next summer things do not go the way that his camp would like. Um, and much like we kind of saw the Nerlens Noel situation play out this summer, uh, they'll maybe overplay their hand a little bit. Restrictive free agency will be a little bit tougher than they think, and ultimately he'll sign something that looks somewhat affordable to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so I'll say 75%. Yeah, I, I was going to say a lower number, but I think, you know, the problem is I always hear so often like the idea like, oh, well, they should trade him. And, you know, people people who, who obviously have these questions, you know, the, I think justifiably have big questions about Jabari and whether he can, you know, whether you can actually get him at a contract that is, you know, provides value to the Bucks. Um I don't. I have no idea what his market would be at this point, right? I mean, he's going into his restricted yep. free agency season. He's coming off a second ACL tear. Um, obviously, there are questions about sort of how his you know talent translates to winning. You know, even aside from the injuries, um, I, I really don't know. Um, I mean, I think we've talked. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast. I've sort of mused. <laughs> 
<laughs> mused as to whether the uh, I don't know how much the uh, the new brain trust in Orlando, given they didn't draft him. I don't know how much John Hammond and uh, Jeff Weltman buy into Aaron Gordon. Um, I would happily uh, trade uh, Jabari Parker, who obviously John Hammond did draft uh to the to the orlando magic for aaron gordon and i I don't know i mean i don't know if that's like a preposterous thing to suggest or probably is given the injury thing but um but uh, but i don't know i i I mean i think there are a lot of trades that would like we talked about you know that hypothetical would you would you take frank nilakina for for jabari and we both said yes um but i'm curious how many of those deals are would really be out there if you looked for them because i don't know i don't know if you could get a really good other young player for that um I don't know. It's just kind of tough to say. I don't know. I one thing I'll say this though, I've never heard heard him link to the Jazz. I mean, granted, there haven't been many Jabari trade rumors that have had any you know real merit. Um, I always kind of wonder, just given you know the whole connection with Mormons and you know him all, him considering going to BYU and just sort of what a draw he'd be for fans. Like, is a worst case scenario could you get Rodney Hood for Jabari Parker? I, I don't know. I mean. That that might be a good deal for the Bucks at this point too, but um, but yeah, I would say I would say mm, I'll say fifty fifty that he'll be a Buck in twenty nineteen. I'll be a little more pessimistic. Okay, yeah, I man, I I just really don't know one how many offers are out there, and then two if this Bucks organization swallows the the bullet and. I don't want to say takes less value than than what than what they should get, just because I don't know if Jabari Parker should have much value right now. Um, but I do wonder if they get overly concerned with the perception of giving up on Jabari Parker or trading this guy away and not showing loyalty to their players or taking uh, a flyer on a younger player that's less proven. I, I do wonder if they would be willing to do something like that. Uh, to me, I guess it probably seems unlikely, especially if you're trying to build up the idea that uh, you're an organization that cares about your guys and you're trying to keep a, keep a positive look from agents and other people around the league. But at the same time, this is the NBA. Like, everyone gets to be in every trade rumor and anyone can get traded at any moment because that's how the NBA works. So um, you would hope that those conversations would be happening, but um, it's tough to know. So uh, I think we're in for an interesting year from now until one year from today. It's going to be a really interesting a really interesting time with Jabari Parker because I think this could go a number of different ways and I don't know if I have uh, (laughs) I don't know if I have a leader in the clubhouse at this point uh, as far as which direction this goes and if that leader does exist it it is not by much Um, it is not a consensus belief like I laid out the okay restricted free agency happens he's not as popular as he thinks he is Um, there's not as many deals out there he signs an affordable deal for the Bucks like I don't know what the chances of that are happening 25% maybe like I don't I don't really feel all that good about it Um, I don't know it's just really tough to figure out yeah and I think if you if you're going to get a good value deal for Jabari Parker I think it's going to be it's likely to happen next summer not this fall um, just because, again, neither side has yep. to do anything this fall. Um, so I think if you're looking for a bargain basement value deal, um, I, I just think it's far more likely to happen next summer when 
um, you know, he doesn't have a contract, uh, and, and, you know, he, you know, his agent is looking to get him paid versus this summer where, you know, they can only negotiate with the bucks. So they, they don't really have much leverage to, to force the bucks to, you know, pony up a bunch of money when, as we said, there's, you know, the market for him will be very unclear. So anyway, we'll have lots of time to bemoan the future Jabari Parker con his contract, uh, I'm sure in the coming months. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm tapped out on that conversation at, at this point. I would agree, and that's going to be it for us for today. Uh, we'll, like we said, we've, we're working on a bunch of other uh, guests, projects, etc. Um, all of that coming up as we get closer and closer to the season. We're very excited about that, um, and our friends at SeatGeek are excited about that as well. Use their promo code LOMBA. Again, that's LOMBA for Locked on NBA to get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase, or just head over to SeatGeek and get a great price on any tickets you buy. Like Frank looking for preseason games in Dallas for 2 bucks. Um, go out and get some deals like that. Uh, for Frank Man, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lock on Bucks, and we will talk to you later.